1: My Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. We are recording this during the Mets' third game of the season. They are currently losing 7-1. But I believe that's about to go up because in-play runs just showed up on my MLB game day. Oh, no. Uh, my, feed, <laughs> my feed on
0: my iPad is uh, ever so slightly behind us. Oh, okay.
1: Um, <laughs> but, you know, when we recorded last a week ago, we had anticipated this to be the Mets' 10th uh, – no, 10th game. Seventh game, I suppose. Sixth game? I know math. Sixth game of the <laughs> yeah, season. six. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh that did not happen because of the COVID outbreak in the Washington Nationals organization. And so here we are um you know uh, it's now 8 to 1 Philadelphia. Um but here we are, you know, 3 games into a season that already feels weird based on how it started. Uh the Mets are looking to st- end the series 1 and 2 which I know is causing a lot of people a lot of concern and I think there are some things to be concerned about in this series and there are some things to not be concerned about in this series Um, just generally taking your temperature right now Chris how are you feeling about the Mets uh, in the bottom of the 6th inning in game 3
0: well I don't feel great about them today but But I do think they're going to be just fine. Uh, I think in a span of two full games and as we speak, six innings, and by the time we're done, maybe eight innings (laughs) at the rate this game is going. But I think we've seen a little bit of everything that is going to be what the 2021 Mets are. And that isn't a team that will have a 333 winning percentage. Um, But it is a team that, I think figures to get a lot of good starts, uh, a lot of offensive production despite not really having that yet. Um, you know, we saw it in the win on uh on Tuesday night. But I think you're going to get a lot of good hitting. Uh, you're going to get improved defense at certain positions, uh, especially shortstop with Francisco Lindor. Uh, Pete, Pete Alonso has made a few good plays, you know. So you've seen a bunch of encouraging things there uh, with the starting pitchers and the position players. I think, um, and I, I really do think the bats are going to be just fine. Um, Lindor just made a heck of a play uh, on my feed here, um, and the bullpen is going to be a nightmare. I, I, I don't know. It feels. It feels like something I've been saying and writing about every offseason for a very long time and it's the only area of the roster that the Mets truly neglected this winter. I like Trevor May a lot. I think he's going to be a lot better than, you know, his first two outings were. Agreed. Um, I'm still we, we haven't seen him pitch yet, but Edwin Diaz is still uh, somebody who I think is going to be good, not the very bad pitcher that it was in 2019. But I think there will be a lot of games where those middle to late relief innings are just not that pleasant to watch. Uh, When Seth Lugo comes back, that helps a lot. But when you have these situations where the vast majority of the bullpen isn't that good, you're going to end up with days that Lugo, May, Diaz – uh, one, two, or all three of them might be unavailable. And I think trying to balance that out to make sure that there's never a day that one of them can't pitch should be a uh, an absolute top priority for Luis Rojas.
1: Uh, yeah, I-, I think that that's very well said. Here's the thing about the bullpen. This isn't a surprise to anybody except maybe the Mets front office. But, I mean, we've been writing about the We did a series last week of sort of um, reasons to be optimistic and pessimistic about the season, and almost to a man, everybody said the bullpen's going to be terrible. And so what's especially frustrating about this is it's not like there's any surprises here. This is stuff the team should have and, frankly, could have addressed in the offseason. They chose to not do that for a variety of reasons, and I'm not going to necessarily... Hold them. I, I mean, I guess I am going to hold them accountable. They they should have done it. They they should have they should have signed a couple more arms. There are plenty of people out there who signed cheap deals who are certainly better than the people the Mets have in their bullpen right now. So here's you know here's a situation where everybody saw this coming, and yet the Mets are still acting as if it's a surprise. So I don't I don't love that part of it. I also don't love you know, we had we had talked a little bit about, about this last time where we felt like part of the transition from the Will Ponds to Cohen was going to be that you don't have to honor every given contract with playing time. Like if you if you sign someone to a three year deal and in year two they're cooked There's no reason why you should have to keep playing them. You should be able to cut their salary, cut them and eat their salary because you're a big league ball club. And I feel like the fact that Dylan Batances made this team is proof that that's not as dead as maybe we thought it was going to be. And that sucks that that's not great. Um, it just seems like the Mets don't really have a plan for the bullpen, and I don't know how that's possible. But, you know, that's all right. But like I said, the, the bullpen is its especially egregious this week because of all the things that have happened in this short season. You know, in the first game, the bullpen essentially coughed up the lead, although you could, you could argue Luis Guillermé's errant throw home was maybe the biggest culprit of that. Yesterday the bullpen made it very interesting where it probably shouldn't have been and today the Mets went from being down 3 runs to being down uh you know <laughs> at, at current recording time 7 runs based purely on bad bullpen pitching. So there won't always be a um there won't always be a three-game series where you're going to see the bullpen mess something up every single day, but you're, there's going to be more of these than I think anybody would like there to be, um, and that is frustrating. But let's leave the bullpen aside for a second. Um, I don't think enough has been said, either on the broadcast or on the Amazing Avenue within our community, whether, whether in the comments or in our like internal discussions, about the fact that the Mets had a essentially week-long layoff without playing any baseball and how the rust might be an issue for the first series of the uh of the year do you think that that, that I'm that I'm just being a Pollyanna-ish and blaming <laughs> some of this on that rust or do you think that that's a, a legitimate concern to bring or a legitimate reason why the Mets might not be looking great right now
0: yeah, I, I think it's absolutely a legitimate reason. Um, the The rhythm of the season, and I, I said this, I think I said this on the podcast uh, one or two episodes ago, that I was glad that there weren't those stupid exhibition games between spring training and opening day. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the players probably were glad about that too until they got to the point that uh, they were spending most of their time in the hotel and Francisco Lindor is – uh, zooming in on people playing soccer in a park at his hotel window because he's sad that he can't play sports. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and you know, that that's endearing to see that he's just itching to get out there and, and wants to play. Um, but there's no way it didn't throw these guys off. Uh, so I, I think early in any season, it, it takes any team, no matter how good or bad they are sometime to sort of get their feet under them and, settle into the team that they are and uh to go from i I don't know if they had any more notice than we did i assume they had a little more but what was it like noon or one o'clock uh on on thursday that uh we learned that the night game was not going to happen because of the nationals covid situation right so i don't know i i'm I've never been close to a professional athlete, uh, in, in my own life, but I feel like there's a pretty strict routine there. And and especially as they're getting ready to play games that count and, and coming out of, you know, the, the practice phase of the baseball year. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're going to be okay. I don't think that pitchers like Matt Moore and Chase Anderson, I mean, they, they got to Anderson a little bit, but I don't think that's, going to be the type of pitcher that they necessarily struggle with all year. Uh, they were on the brink or they had, they had Aaron Nola on the brink and he got out of it several times uh, in, in today's game. But again, I, I would think that given that many opportunities, they're not going to consistently fail to score runs because they just have too many good hitters. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to think getting back home for the home opener on on Thursday afternoon, um, playing the Marlins, who aren't a team that should just be written off necessarily, but they're, they're still a developing team. Um, they might. Who knows, That's a nice might, way of putting it. Yes. Yeah, I, they 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 could finish higher than the Phillies or Nationals in the standings, and I wouldn't be shocked. But I don't know. There's there's something different about. Facing a Phillies team that has JT Realmuto and uh, Bryce Harper in the lineup, and even Reese Hoskins versus the lineup that the Marlins are are rolling out there. So I don't know. Like if the series were in Miami, I'd be more like, oh, I don't know. But the fact that it's in Queens, uh, I think they have an opportunity to sort of at least win a series and, and be three and three on the year, and maybe you know even win all three games and and come out of it with. Uh, a four and two record and then you know then you can start feeling like okay things are in good shape. Um I just I don't think it'll take that long. I agree with you. You know
1: and and I also think that there are certain aspects of this um of this first series that when you look at it realistically between the layoff and not getting I mean, I I just think that the layoff there, there's there's so much there. There's not just the we haven't played in a week. There's also the like um, just the you get hyped for something and then you don't get you don't get a chance to do it. So there's there's the the pickup and the come down from that. And then they didn't know that Saturday's game would be canceled. I guess until Friday night, right? So I feel like there was just there was a lot of up and down emotional stuff. I think that having fans in their home ballpark will be a good thing for morale, even if it's not necessarily a good thing for public health. I think Lindor getting in front of the fans for the first time is going to be a big deal. I think the fact that they're going to have Degrom and Stroman going this weekend also is a nice thing. I'm I, I'm not so worried about this season. I know that we are Mets fans, and so therefore we have uh, just doom and gloom built into our DNA, but I don't feel particularly terrible about this season, nor should anyone because it's not even three full games in at the time we're recording. But I understand, I understand the general, uh, the general just sort of tenor of fear that comes with, with with being (laughs) a Mets fan. Right. Um, So let's, let's again move away from the bullpen for a second. I just want to say like one of the nice things has been seeing how good Pete Alonso has looked so far. He's using the entire field. He's hit a home run already, but he's also hit a couple of balls the other way. He hit a rocket up the middle in today's game. I think Alonzo looks really good, and hopefully he is going to be able to continue that throughout the season. I think if he has a big year, the Mets are going to be just fine. Um, Has there been a player that sort of stood out to you as particularly impressive thus far?
0: Um, I mean, aside from Jacob deGrom, who continues to impress no matter how by how high the bar is uh i i think stroman honestly um i will admit that stylistically i am definitely much more inclined to be into like you know the the de grom type pitcher who might strike out 10 or more guys every every night and stroman will have those games where he does rack up strikeouts but um you know, it, it, I, I can't, I'm, I've never been one to say, okay, uh, I'm going to give in and all the old baseball announcers are right. <clears throat> Everybody needs to pitch to contact and strikeouts are out of control. None of that. But <clears throat> Stroman is somebody who, at least in his first start of this year, just got a whole lot of weak contact, a lot of stuff on the ground, uh, and the infield defense was capable behind him. Uh, and I and I love you know he's got that energy that positivity out there uh, all the time, and he really shows it to to those guys when they make those plays behind him. So I just enjoyed that because you know he's he's a likable player uh, to begin with, and then the fact that he's sort of just I don't know different or or. Changing uh, maybe not my overall opinion of what I want in the, in a pitcher as a fan, but changing a little bit of the perception and, and showing that there's not just one way to get it done out there. Sure, yeah. Um. So that that was good to see. I a full season in the National League. I would not be surprised if he you know finished with with a sub three ERA. Uh, he is capable of that. He he's done it over long stretches in uh in the american league right so yeah Uh, i i don't know i think it it kind of stood out and there was just some sense of calm there that even as he's facing bryce harper by no means was it like oh no he's overmatched you know right um we have this standard where (laughs) every fifth game we get to watch or fifth day we get to watch a pitcher, for whom there's no such thing as a hitter who could he could be overmatched by. Um, that's not true for too many guys, right? So to, I don't know. By the second or third time, I think I think Stroman faced Harper three times, um, and by the second or third time he came up, I was still, I, I don't know. I felt more comfortable with each at bat, uh, watching that, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, that, that stood out and and Lindor has just been super fun to watch in the field already. I know he hasn't done much at the plate yet. That obviously, uh, should change. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm already enjoying just the number of ground balls. He can turn into one or two outs that the Mets were not. Capable of doing uh, in
1: in recent seasons. Right. No, man, I think that's that's an excellent point. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, Go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, priceline.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is the deal. Each week, your heroes in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business
0: sports is and not as uh, simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't
1: want to do another stomp you out speech
0: it opened so, up so many more doors the show is called the, the deal. deal
1: listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify i'm i'm really interested to see where the mets go in terms of their um sort of the first man off the bench role, you know, we saw Kevin Pillar start on Monday night and then inexplicably not be pinch hit for when a righty came into the game. Uh we've seen Albert Almora get more at bats this week than he probably should have. We see we saw Jonathan Villar start today and collect two hits including a triple. Um but I think it's going to be interesting to sort of see what, what the pecking order eventually becomes for the Mets bench because we we've talked a lot about on the site how this has potential to be a pretty good bench, a pretty, um, <clears throat> you know, a relatively um, deep bench in a way that we haven't seen in a couple of years. But so far, it has not been a very well-managed bench or well-managed bullpen. And, you know, I I, I feel like one of the things that we we just need to discuss is some of the decisions that Luis Rojas has made you know, three games into the season, whether that's when to pull a pitcher or not pulling a pitcher, whether that's lineup construction. And again, you know, we don't really know in terms of... Um, we don't know how much of the decision-making process really comes from him. You know, in the mod- in a modern baseball team, a lot of times there are things that are coming directly from the... Uh, directly from the front office. So I, I don't want to say... Necessarily that, you know, all these decisions came directly from Rojas. But there were a lot of whispers last year that Rojas maybe wasn't up for this job, that he wasn't capable enough to to do this job. And that came as a real surprise to me because when we were in spring training, especially that first day when you weren't there yet, actually, I was just talking to a lot of people about Rojas. Because it was it was his first spring training. You know, he came in to the job in a weird way, and everybody from the team, from, from people who worked on the team, worked for the team rather, people who worked in media, just about everybody said, like, you can't believe how good how good of a baseball mind this guy has. This guy's going to be a fantastic manager for the Mets. And it's just seemed so far like he's been pretty overmatched. Um, what do you think? What do you think the. Uh, the reality is for Rojas. Do you do you think that he is looking as bad as some are saying, or do you, do you think it's just too early to have you know to have that conversation?
0: Yeah, it, it's probably too early, but I'd say there's at least a, an outline of things to be concerned about there. Um, the in-game stuff. I, I don't know if it's the most important thing a manager does, but it's definitely the thing that we notice the most. So. I think there's been enough there to kind of scratch your head. And even early in the broadcast tonight, Gary Cohen mentioned it that not necessarily that he was railing on him, but just saying there's been a lot of second guessing over some of these moves. Uh, And yes, that's the the nature of the job, no matter how good the manager is some things are not going to work, even if you make the right decision every single time. But I don't know the, the situation there with, having the opportunity to go for the kill with the bases loaded, a right-handed reliever coming in, Dom Smith on the bench, and Elmora available to come in and prioritize defense if Smith failed. You know, if if Smith came into that spot and succeeded, then forget it. If he blows the game open, who cares? You know, Brandon Nimmo in center and Smith in left, that works. And maybe later in the game you still make that defensive change. But – you had that opportunity. Um, I don't know. It's. I would just much rather see a guy who not only has a platoon advantage, but is just a very, very good hitter, uh, come into that spot. And especially when Rojas had said earlier that day that that was what he planned to do. It was Pilar was hitting leadoff specifically to face the lefty. And then once the right-handed relievers came into the game for the Phillies, Dom Smith would get into the game. So I just don't understand why you say that and then not, you know, and don't follow through with it. Um, but people would have questioned it either, you know, whether he said it or not. But I don't know. I just wouldn't <laughs> say one thing. Right. And then a couple hours later, abandon that plan and change the logic after the game on on why you changed that. Um. So, yeah, i don't I don't know. I, hopefully those kinds of things uh even themselves out, but every manager seems to make decisions that uh that don't make sense. and uh, Gary Keith and Ron were talking about it a little bit tonight, too, where um on Braille Muto's Rael Muto, I man, of all the baseball names, I hate saying his out loud. <laughs> like it's not hard, but it's just a little weird. Um and yeah anyway on his home run uh, basically Ron Darling saw it coming the Phillies saw it coming and you know Gary says to Ron well you know why do they see that and you see that sitting here but the Mets don't see that before he throws that pitch Um, and I I don't know it, it's one of those things that I think you can get caught up in a lot I felt like the the first game in particular just felt like it was moving faster than the Mets were.
1: Yes. Like there was that's just something that's a really good way to put it. Yeah.
0: The, the rhythm of it was just like, Oh, this is like, wait, what that, that inning's over. And that just kept happening where it was, it was kind of like, yeah. So I don't know. I think they'll be fine, but those are my concerns. Yeah. I mean, I,
1: I think that all of those are, Are very uh, reasonable concerns. My biggest problem with Rojas as a manager thus far, and this is really not unique to him, but I'm just really sick of managers never taking responsibility for their decisions. And like when they asked him, you know, about about not bringing Smith in to the game on Monday, he said like, "Well, I made you know the process was good, the results were bad." And I feel like that is that that's a valid answer sometimes, but that can't be the valid answer all the time. And he should have said, I mean, look, I think everybody would respect him more if he said, knowing what I know now, of course I should have brought in Dom Smith, but he's never he has never said that, and it doesn't seem like he is going to be the guy who would say that, and that bums me out. That's and that's that just seems like it would be a very easy thing for him to do and to not make it into a uh not make it into a huge deal but he chose not to do it and chose to and that was like i remember when, when willie randolph was the manager for the mets it could have been clear as day that he made the wrong decision and he would never admit he made a mistake and that just drives me up a wall and so you know, I, we'll we'll see how all of this shakes out with Rojas. I don't think we're I don't think we, anyone should be ready to fire him just yet. But I also think that we need to have a conversation, probably sooner than later, about his capabilities as a manager. And the worst thing the Mets could do this year is to squander chances to win ball games based on things that could have easily been avoided. Right? Like it's one thing if you put the best team out on the field and the chips just fall where they may but if if there's constant in-game mistakes being made and that's costing the Mets wins I don't know how you I don't know how you can stick with him long term I know that's very easy to say from where I'm sitting but
0: you know what yeah I mean? <laughs> yeah no no I do I do um <clears throat> so yeah i I think assuming the Mets do lose his game and the probability that's pretty high right now um the phillies will, will you know, be in first place and everybody else in the division will have a losing record um i think there's plenty of time to uh, to make up for that fact <laughs> yes. this early in the year but uh but yeah no it especially when the the part of the team that is the weakest is the one that involves the manager the most that's where your point comes into play. Like bullpen management is hard enough with a good bullpen. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the job's easy. Uh, you will always be second guest for those decisions every time they go wrong, no matter how good the pitcher is that you brought in. But uh, having a bullpen that has a lot of flaws or at least a lot of question marks does not make that job easy at all for Rojas. And, you know, if, if he's making poor decisions on top of that part of the roster being what it is, uh, those things will sort of compound.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. It is fun. It is fun that, that like other teams in the division are struggling. Yeah. Yes. That, that does help. <laughs> <laughs> that helps considerably.
1: Um, so let's look ahead to the Marlins series for just a sec here. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll see Taiwan Walker make his Mets debut. We'll see DeGrom. We'll see uh, Strowman again. We may see J.D. Davis come back. It's it's somewhat unknown how long Davis will be out for with his... I believe they called it a contusion on his hand. Multiple set of x-rays came back negative. Um, But is there anything that you specifically want to see in this second series, that will make the uh, that will make things they'll make, they'll make you feel better about the Mets at the you know on Sunday evening.
0: Um, without setting the bar too high, uh, a sweep <laughs> 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 only because I I like the starting pitching that they have going in all three games. Um, I know the Marlins' strength is is probably their starting pitching as well, but if you're going toe to toe. Their their starting pitchers aren't as good, if only because they don't have a Jacob Degrom. Right. Um, nobody does. So they so may not even have a Marcus Stroman. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. I mean, uh, Alcantara is, I guess, kind of similar in a way, not necessarily in in terms of like his stuff, but um, the overall results. You know, not a crazy high strikeout guy. Right. Uh, Through two starts this year, he's had a lot of strikeouts, but over the course of his career, not striking out too many guys, but, you know, he's sat – he's basically had a mid-three ERA over the last three seasons, um, well, only one of which was a full year. But, you know, he's, he's managed to be a decent pitcher despite not having that high strikeout rate. So, you know, he, he compares in a way. Um, I guess I should look up whether or not he's pitching in the series before I really <laughs> talk about it more. But <laughs> – But, yeah, there's just a – there's a lopsided difference between the lineups. Um, And, uh, uh, yeah, the Marlins are TBD on two of their starters in the series. Um, Saturday is Trevor Rogers is listed uh, Mm -hmm. with Jacob DeGrom for the Mets. So, um, yeah, yeah. Sweeping the Marlins would feel nice uh, because it always does. Because even when the Mets are at the very best, the Marlins have found a way to torture them yes uh but yeah <clears throat> and look even if they just win the series that's fine but i would i would thoroughly enjoy if all three pitchers are good the, the offense is functioning well um and if those two things happen the bullpen having its weak spots yeah, shouldn't matter quite so much it, it, I don't know. I, I thought Mets fans in general were, were a little too negative about the win on Tuesday night where it was like, okay, yeah, I know the bullpen sucked for a little bit there, but there was the, the win was never in question. They just right. happened to score runs a little bit later. <clears throat> um, there's something, I, I guess, in my mind, in the three different, three different scenarios that, that a team could score a lot of runs, um, scoring a lot of them early gets you all amped up because you know hey they're putting the game away early in the game scoring a lot of runs late for a dramatic comeback is is a kind of energy that that's good but having a small lead and just kind of slowly building on it and then adding runs late in the game that's probably the least exciting way to win a game by a lot sure yes so i I understand that but and i know that You know, it took a little while because of all that, but I don't know. It was a win, and it was a win where the Mets were never really at risk of losing. Um, And Gary, Keith, and Ron were, as they have been through all three of these games, I think they have been in excellent form, like as good as they've ever been, the balance of, um, you know, sort of, illustrating or helping illustrate or, or explain what's going on in, on the field. And then their usual uh, stories and sense of humor. Um, I don't know. They're just, there's something about it. And I think it might just be that, Hey, this is a full season. Um, you know, they're still not at the road ballparks, but they probably will be in, in a couple months. Um, and there's still a full season ahead of us. So, right. Uh, you know, there's just some kind of feel there that I think they handled the very awkward situation of cardboard cutouts in the stands and broadcasting games from from City Field when the team was on the road. Um, I think they handled that very well. Uh, you know, as they dealt with the the short season last year, but I, I've just really, really enjoyed their their banter their analysis, and, uh, you know, especially the fact that all three talked about uh, getting vaccinated and which stage of vaccination they were in and encouraging people to do it. Um, you know, I think the overwhelming majority of, of Mets fans would be on board because of everything that uh, the whole region has been through over the last year. But it's nice to have those voices on on TV um, just sort of echoing the... You know, the the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, Gary Keith and Ron have been fantastic, and uh, anybody who's out there stumping for public health gets a thumbs up from me. So, I'm very glad that they took the time in the broadcast to to say that. And uh, I know the Mets are off. the The team is offered their first vaccine tomorrow after the day game. And hopefully many of the players take it. I know the Mets have been very proactive in providing uh, information to the players about the vaccine to hopefully quash some of the rumors that are popping up about it. You know, I I don't think I'm saying anything out of school here by saying that some baseball players can be pretty willfully ignorant when it comes to science, uh, whether it's statistics or, um, you know, public health stuff. So. The fact that the Mets are really trying to make sure that they are representing the vaccine, the vaccine well, I think is a very good move. And hopefully, the players take up take the team up on the offer to get their vaccinations, and that we can all get one step closer to normalcy and health, you know, in the yeah. future.
0: Yeah. And Sandy Alderson spoke very well on that topic the other day uh, when they, you know, when he and Steve Cohen spoke to the press about the uh, Lindor extension. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And one other thing, too, and, um, and I think the Mets consistently do a good job with this kind of thing, but they, you know, they had announced a couple days ago that before the game tomorrow they're going to have, um, I, I believe it was a teacher, students, a volunteer from a food pantry, uh, a COVID survivor, and the COVID survivor's doctor. And, and this is somebody who had been hospitalized and on a ventilator. And fortunately pulled through, um, but they, you know, they're they're honoring, um, so just sort of a, a good representation of people uh, who who reflect everything that's gone on for the past year, um, and you know, obviously, even in the shortened season, the Mets and and all baseball teams weren't in a spot to be able to do anything uh, to honor anyone because. You know, things things were still so shaky, and, 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 you know, they're not over now, but they were still so shaky last year that you weren't doing anything optional. Uh, you know, even just playing the game sort of felt like, is this the right thing to do? Um, so, yeah, I, I, credit to uh, Alderson for his remarks and, and uh, you know, the Mets for uh, – Deciding to open their season at home in in that fashion, and I think uh, even under the entire run of the Wilpons, I think paying tribute and 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 I don't know honoring things that have affected New York City have has been something that they were always good at.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: Um, you know, it, tragedies struck. They've you know they've really done the right thing and gone about it in a way that I don't think they've really sought out praise or anything you know they've just they've just done it so for for all that we lol mets about all these you know years and decades of being fans of the team um uh, i'm looking forward to that and hopefully those things will be uh, included on the sny broadcast i assume they will be because you know it's the big Home opener and the festivities, and especially since the Mets basically didn't have an opening day this year, right? Um, you know, going through that process is going to feel—I uh, don't know—it's going to feel like a bigger moment than it might in a year when they opened on the road and then came home and had the home opener. Agreed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other opening week business you want to get to before we get to our music
0: picks? Um. No, the only other thing would be you making your music pick first because I don't know mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can do that. Um, I, I, I'll come up with something in the next 30 to 60 seconds. Take your time. Take your time. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk for a bit. So, there was an article that
1: came out last week on spin.com that spoke to something like 60 different musicians about baseball. And you know there are some Mets fans on the list that I knew were Mets fans. Like I, I have, I know that uh, Brian Baker from Bad Religion and um, Minor Threat was a big Mets fan. I knew that Julian Casablancas from The Strokes was a Mets fan. Um, I found out that George Thurgood is a Mets fan. Um, don't really have any interest in hanging out with George Thurgood, but that's a whole other story. Um, but one of the musicians that was on that list is somebody who I kind of came into contact with about a year and a half ago on a friend's recommendation, and that's a guitar player named Chris Forsyth. And you're listening to this on Thursday. On Friday, we're going to have an amazing avenue in conversation with Chris uh, talking about music and baseball, and it's the first of a series of three at least three uh, interviews we're going to have with musicians over the next coming weeks, talking about Mets fandom and sort of how that relates to music and all that. Just uh, some fun conversations. As you know from listening to the show, Chris and I are huge music fans, and so to get to to talk to musicians about baseball is a really cool thing. And so um, I had not heard, I guess it's uh, Chris Forsyth's most recent record that came out. Um, He released it. He was telling me on the show, March 20th, which was like basically the second week of lockdown. And it was the first Bandcamp Friday of the uh, of the year. And for those who don't know, Bandcamp is a fantastic place to get music. And uh, once a month, they have been dedicating all of their money to the artist, not taking any cuts. And so uh, the record is called People's Motel Band which is a combination of, uh, he calls his band the uh, Solar Motel Band. And this record was produ- was recorded live with the band Garcia Peoples. So Peoples Motel Band is the name of the live record. And it's only four tracks. Uh, the last song, Dreaming in the Non-Dream, stretches out for 20 plus minutes. I I, I said this when I spoke to Chris, I really don't like saying like, the Grateful Dead meets Indie Rock, because that's not really what he does, but that's a really easy sort of description for it. It's it's jammy improvisational music, but it has sort of a, a, a punkier edge to it or a more straightforward edge to it. Um, he's a fantastic guitar player, and I am not super familiar with Garcia Peoples, but this band, which is a combination of his band and the Garcia Peoples band, just rips it up on these four tracks. It's really, really fantastic. I cannot recommend this record highly enough it's great to put on in the background while you're doing stuff or if you're someone like me who likes to you know put music on and close your eyes and just kind of get lost in it this is a perfect record to do that with it is mostly instrumental i believe there is one track on here with some vocals um but it's a mostly instrumental record and it's really really solid so people's motel band by chris forsyth and garcia peoples is my pick did i give you enough time chris to come up with a music pick
0: you did, and right. I'm just defaulting to a conversation we already had today. <laughs> <laughs> but first, that that was a, uh, a a nice little connection. We saw Garcia people's open for somebody once. I think they opened for Kika Moyo. Okay. Um, I think we picked up one of their vinyls mm-hmm. uh, that they had on sale there that night, and, and they were solid. You know, I don't I don't have any uh, like super strong memories of. of they're set or, or, you know, that record or anything. But, um, but yeah, I was not expecting to hear about them just now. So that is, that is a band that I've seen once. Um, and they're sort of like in the circles of, of psychedelic music that we're into, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I suspect they'll probably turn up again. Um, so that's cool. But I am going with, what should have been the first album pick I had after we decided to go with this show name, uh, we'll go the album, which is the reason that we have a show called amazing Avenue audio, the show. <laughs> um, and yeah, we talked about it in, in Slack earlier today, but you know, I just threw it on and, um, I, I have a tendency with bands that I've have loved for a long time to listen to live recordings of theirs, uh, of shows that I've been to, uh, maybe a little bit more than the records, but threw that one on this morning, Just a nice warm day and decided, you know, let me, let me give that a shot. And a lot of those songs have, have, I I liked it from the start, but a lot of those songs have grown on me, um, over the years. And I think they've developed them very nicely. Um, the the song bull black Nova on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, all right, what's going on here. You know, um, but now I sort of fully appreciate it, um, and and hearing it in in that recorded form, that studio form again, uh, as part of the album, part of the, that sequence, was was kind of cool because uh, I think they've really mastered it over the years. But going back to like, okay, this is what it sounded like when you know when they made it, um, that was kind of cool. So yeah, yeah, I've I've made a couple of Wilco picks over the years, but between the fact that somehow I never brought up the show reference uh, and the fact that they, you know, they normally would have had their own festival in Western Massachusetts late this year, uh, sorry, uh, later this spring um, or, or at the very beginning of summer, uh, but decided to do the right thing and postpone it until next year and not try to, you know, push it to the fall or late summer and, make people put down money for tickets and camping and all that kind of stuff. And then who knows, you know, I, I'm trying to feel optimistic about where we are with all that, but rather than doing all that, they just decided wait until next year, uh, which I think was the right approach for that festival. So compliments to them for making what I think was a good decision uh, for, for everybody involved. Um, And yeah, listen to the record. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, I I will say my my
1: one sort of drag on that record is I think it's very front-loaded. Um whereas I think Wilco in general, I tend to like the back half of their records a lot. I think mm. like that might be the most front-loaded of their albums. But I said to you before, I think it's also the most underrated album. I think people knock it a little bit because it was the first album after a number of albums. Like if you look at from from being there through sky blue sky each record kind of changed a bunch right and this one doesn't really change a lot this sort of incorp this is the album where like they incorporate everything they had done before into one album i think most bands have an album like that where you sort of recontextualize everything I- into one album um i think because of that it doesn't have as sterling a reputation but i think that has some of their best Individual songs on it, uh, and I yeah. saw them twice on that tour, and that was a very fun tour. So, oh yeah,
0: were you at the Keystone Park? or I was, whatever? I was. Yeah, yes. that was that was a fun night with Yola Tango and yes, take me out to the ball game. Yep, the, that tour where they were they were in minor league ballparks, they handed out scorecards.
1: Yep, I wish I had. Uh, I, I I somehow did not get a scorecard at that at that
0: show. I might have an extra one.
1: So oh well, there we go. Then. I'll look, because I know I'm I
0: got sure. one that night, and then I also bought one for like a dollar in the. Um, The last day of Solid Sound, and now we're really getting into the weeds here, but if anybody listening is a Wilco fan and has not been to Solid Sound yet, go when it's safe and happens next year. And uh, on the last day, uh, they have like a sort of clearance of their warehouse at the merch table, Uh, you know, where a bunch of old stuff is cheap. So I I picked one up for like (laughs) a (laughs) dollar. So I either have one, in which case I'm keeping it, but I might have two, in which case I would gladly share. Um, Thank you, friend. But yeah, no the, and I, I'd agree on that record. I think f- four of the best five songs are in the first five tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd agree with you there. But it's, you know, uh, I, when you're in the mood and you have, uh, you know, the 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 time um, to just sort of take it in, and and you're not in a rush. Uh, there's I have no complaints about it either. You know, in in the second half. So. Sure. Sure. Um. Uh, my last comment on that was, be, I
1: also saw them at the Wellmont Theater in Montclair. I don't know if you were at that show. They might have played yes. two shows there. Yeah, I was at both. <laughs> okay, I, I, I was at one of those. So before I knew you, we were at at least two shows together.
0: Yeah, 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 no, that, that is, uh, that's is—that's—that's pretty funny.
1: Um, um, I i don't know if I told you this, you this story before. I definitely told it to other people. When I was going to that Wellmont show, my wife and I were waiting outside to get in by the will call table will call window rather and Sean Lennon was there and he forgot his ID oh yeah and he was like but I'm I'm Sean Lennon like you know and (laughs) then I I don't know if he ever I almost walked over and was like trust me he's Sean Lennon but I don't know if that would have done anything so
0: right 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 Um, yeah no I just (laughs) I'm picturing Kramer exactly yes yeah, I think I, I think we've talked about it. We have definitely talked about it, but I think we talked about it on an episode at some point. But uh, there's no such thing as telling that story too many times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I missed when the Wellmont Theater had like good shows. They did it for like two years, maybe a little bit longer. But then they just kind of faded away from... I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I think maybe the promoter changed or... The last show something. I saw there...
1: Was in 2013. I took my dad and my uncle to see Brian Wilson and Jeff Beck there. Nice. And that was the last show I saw there, and I, I do I, I think there's been maybe one or two. No, I, I saw the Pixies there. Maybe shortly sh- thereafter, somewhere in that ballpark. But I feel like since whatever show was last—the Pixies show or the Brian Wilson show—I feel like whichever since then there has not been more than, like, three shows advertised that venue that I've thought about going to. And that's crazy because it was, it was like you said, for a couple of years there, it was a really good venue and for me, that's like, that's super close. It's like a 25-minute drive from my yeah. house.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... And even from the Bronx, you know, it wasn't too bad. It was a little longer than that, but... 2011 is when I saw Pixies there, so yeah, Brian Wilson was the last show I saw there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah.
1: Well... Well... I, I guess that does it for the show tonight. Um thank you everybody for listening. Uh we're we're very excited that baseball is is happening and is uh you know is is getting exciting hopefully. But you know, it, it's going to be there it's not it's not going to be perfect. It's not all going to be uh you know uh peaches and cream right away and that's okay. We'll get through this together. So uh, please check out the rest of the Amazing Avenue podcast. We're going to have lots of podcast content, including a podcast this weekend with two very cool guests. I'm not going to say yet. And that's not the Chris Forsyth one, which is also very cool. It's coming out tomorrow. Um, but yeah, we're going to have some fun stuff over the next few weeks. And as always, there's great stuff at AmazonAvenue.com, So check it out there. You can also find the site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Uh, you can find the show on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts please rate review and subscribe those things really help people find out about our shows uh he's at chris mcshane i am at brian needs a nap thank you guys for listening and until next time let's go mets